You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. You guys know the first NFL game uh, in Germany happened this morning or is happening right now? Thanks for that, Guten Morgan. There were like, there were like three million ticket requests or something like that. So um, there are not that many seats in whatever stadium they're playing. And it's in Munich, so probably Bayern Stadium or something like that. But that's my last sports reference, guys. Um, I'm, my name's, really, I think. We'll see. Um, my name's Alan. Um, I'm on staff with Line of Life, if you didn't know. Um, we use a team of teachers here as a church um, to kind of rotate through, get different voices, different perspectives um, on God's Word. But before we get into our passage today, um, do you guys, I, I know you guys don't use Facebook, but like any of your social media, you guys get the like this, you remember this day, how many years ago kind of thing? Like that way back machine kind of a thing? Um, some days I feel like I remember way better than others. There's some Facebook memories. I'm like, did I do that? Should I have done that? Um, but I have one, one memory um, that just feels like really like one of those days that sits really clearly in my mind. We just passed it, actually. It was a couple days ago. Um, about five, well, a couple days ago, five years ago. Um, it was one of those like, like really fun ministry days. Okay, so like start off uh, five years ago. It was just me, Ashley, and our baby daughter, baby daughter, Ava. Um... And um, we had someone on our staff team who was actually leaving staff, which that, come, that happens in campus ministry, right? People leave. Um, it was sad, but we also got a chance to celebrate them. And we made a little video, like, celebrating them and saying goodbye to them. Um, it was inspired by the, do you guys see that, that video, Kittens Inspired by Kittens? Isn't that video? That, no? Okay, it's funny. That's all. Um, so we worked on that. Um, we took a picture for our Christmas card. We were pregnant. Well, Ashley was pregnant. Um, with, with our son, Aaron. Um, we didn't know it was our son, Aaron. We just knew it was a baby. And so we had the Christmas card. You make sure you get that baby bump in there, like really show people, um, hey, we're like really, really happy for our family. Be happy for us too, please. Um, and it was Dad's Weekend. Um, so Dad's Weekend, you guys know, here at the U of I, fun deal. Um, next year, Dad's Weekend, bring your dad here. We, we love it. Like actually, we as a church, we haven't been in the habit of doing this, but back in the day, we did a Dad's Day Chili where we served gallons of chili, um, invited dads to come over before or after the football game, usually after because, you know, my football usually plays at 11 because, anyway, I told you that should have been my last sports reference. It wasn't. Um, uh, Great Dad's Day chili, really fun. Um, uh, Talking to students and stuff like that. And we finally got home because you got to get home, put your baby to bed. So we put Ava to bed. And then after that, we probably watched The Office um, because that's what you do. Um, and honestly, it was an early night. We went to bed pretty early. Um, I was asleep pretty quickly. Ash- can, Ashley can attest, this is me every night. Um, I'm just out. Um, but at some point, pretty early on into sleep, the doorbell rang. Uh, and there was a knocking on the door. And I feel like, you know, 11 o'clock at night, like somebody pounding on your door uh, in campus ministry, like, oh, maybe has some, somebody's like, just has no idea of what time it is. And they're like, whatever, like, we'll come over and hang out. Or... The converse, like, you don't know who's coming at your door, and you better, like, just be careful. And so I go to the door, and I don't open it. I talk to the door, ask who it is, and they tell me they're from the Champaign County Coroner's Office. I thought, well, that's a weird excuse. Um, And so 
the, uh, the thought went through my mind that we had elderly neighbors. I thought maybe something had happened. They were looking for a perspective, like, hey, did you see anything happen? Do you know about this? And so I said, all right, I'll let you in. And um, we sat down on our couches, and I honestly, I don't even remember the conversation. I remember the tone. I remember that they, the man was very sweet and calm and thoughtful and helpful. Um, and I remember the, the details from the story, at least the, the last details. Um, he'd come to tell me, um, that earlier that day, my mom and dad had died in a car crash. It's about six hours earlier, probably while we were at that dad's day chili. Um, they were actually leaving um, a Saturday night church service to go to dinner with some friends in a town over, and they were driving on the highway. It's one of those highways that, um, you know, there's cross traffic, and you got to watch out for it. A, a truck pulled out in front of them, um, and they, they didn't have time to stop. Um, and they passed away instantly. Um, so a year ago, or five years ago today, I was, I was searching for a pair of coffins um, and putting together an obituary with my sister. Um, I remember that night specifically trying to grasp for anything, trying to grab the rug as if it would be like a mooring for my ship at sail, like set a sail. Like, I didn't know what was going on. And I know I probably didn't even want people around me. I'm thankful for the people who supported me and supported our family through that time. Um, many of you guys are here. Uh, many of you, just our church did that for us. It was really sweet. But it was hard. We had a funeral. is one of those things that's really bizarre. Like you feel like, am I in my body or am I looking at my body? Something's going on here, but I'm here. Or maybe I'm not here. Um, it's crazy. Now, some of you, I imagine in a room the size of people, I imagine some of you have potentially experienced really heavy loss yourself. Um, and so we as a church, we really care. If that's something you feel like, hey, I want to talk to somebody about that, know that our staff team, your small group leader, our elders would love to talk to you about that. Because um, death and loss are everywhere. So, so yeah, like, why do I share that story with you? Why do I put you in that mood? Um, one, I feel like it's just sweet to honor their name been five years, like it feels like the right thing to do, um, and I get a chance to do that in front of you guys. They were sweet. I love my mom and dad. We were looking at pictures of them with our kids and just remembering them. It was really sweet. Secondly, I shared to draw you guys into our time of our Bible study. And third, and this is related to the Bible study, I want you to just sit in the reality, not because I don't like you, but because I do like you, that everyone you know, barring the return of Jesus first, is going to die. We all are stuck in this mess, this, this pain that comes from sin, that it's death. Some, some deaths are sudden, like a car crash. Some are drawn out and painful, like a brain tumor or Alzheimer's. Some deaths are kind of welcomed and sweet after a long-lived life serving Jesus, and we can celebrate that they get to go be with him instead of feeling those aches and pains anymore. But the reality is we all do it. We are all going to go through it. We are all going to feel it. In fact, I would say, and this is, the, this is just, I think this is so heavy, is death is so normal that humanity's greatest hope was subject to it. The greatest hope we have as people to break away from death died to. Last week we talked about, thank you David for bringing this message to us, about the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And when he died, I kind of have to wonder, what are all the people who were following him feeling? 
We have a few accounts of it um, in, in the Gospels. Um, there's a group of guys who are leaving Jerusalem to the town of Emmaus, and they say to the risen Jesus, they don't know it's him, but they say, but we had hoped, but we had hoped. Death changed everything for them. And I don't think it's because they were surprised that their, their leader died. Like, they didn't, ha- they didn't even have that paradigm. They, they, some talked about resurrection, but they sort of assumed everyone was going to die. It was the suddenness and the abruptness of the death of Jesus that would have been striking. Right, they were building towards something. Not a week earlier, Jesus had been welcomed into Jerusalem as the king of the Jews. Everything was going according to plan until it wasn't, at least from their perspective. And so if you can imagine the grief of a sudden loss, a sudden, well, there goes that. We thought we were going one way and it turns out we're going another way. Before them, their leader, their self-proclaimed king, dead. So they scattered. In fact, the, the, the closest followers of Jesus um, they, they all sort of went their own way. The closest um, by name who gets mentioned a lot is Peter. He denied Jesus. He said, I don't know that guy. I'm out. Death messed with their plans. And, and not only that, it happened at just the worst time because it happened right before the Sabbath and they couldn't even finish preparing his body for, for the tomb. It was just sort of like really bad timing. Now, we as, as people of the church, as, as God's people, we, we know about the resurrection. Surprise, like we got it. Um, but I want you to enter into the pain of the death of Christ to really experience the power of the resurrection. Too many times, I feel like we say, yep, we got it. We got the Christian story. In fact, we've spent this semester in one particular account, one particular perspective of that Christian story. We've been looking at Mark's gospel account. I love how we walk through this story after story, account after account, Jesus' parables, Jesus' miracles. We've been walking through this book really deliberately together. I hope that you got a chance to enjoy, enjoy doing that with us. And I particularly hope that maybe you got a chance to read all of Mark by yourself even. Just fill in the gaps each week. And if you haven't, guys, it's 16 chapters. Go home and read it. Um, don't study for that exam. You're going to get the same letter. It's not going to make a big difference. <clears throat> Um, so I get to finish the story and we know the Christian story, right? It's super easy. Um, yeah, hooray, we got it. Um, you guys know Bluey? Oh my gosh, guys, Bluey. This is, you don't have kids, but go on your Disney Plus, your parents' Disney Plus account, um, and watch Bluey. It's seven minutes an episode with credits. It's awesome. It is, it is life-giving television. Um, Um, And they say hooray a lot, which is just encouraging. Um, So hooray, we got the story. But let me tell you, again, enter into not your Jesus-saturated self. Step back. Just try to like separate yourself from yourself for a second and think about yourself as an early convert to this Jesus. Somebody told you, hey, this man rose from the dead. He is the savior of our people, of our world. And they're like, and you're like, I don't even have a book to tell me about him. You guys know this, like there are people who came to follow Jesus before we had the Bible, before we had the Gospels. And so for them to know they were following Jesus and then to actually read about him would have been so life-giving. And so they would have loved to know, hey, how'd this resurrection thing go down? That's pretty crazy. Let's, let's look at that. And so I'd invite you guys to just forget and look at this resurrection account like a new believer 2,000 years ago.
So we're going to look at Mark chapter 16. We're going to look through at verses 1 through 8 today. Um, they're going to be on the screen for you. I'm going to be reading, I believe, from the, the New International Version. You're free to follow along on your phone or your tablet. Take notes, guys. I th- always think it's encouraging to take notes at a sermon, at the very least, to help you stay, pers- stay connected, even if you're just doodling. Um, but I'm going to pray, and then um, I'm going to read our passage to us. Sound good? Uh, Jesus. I pray that your word would be illuminated. I pray that it would not be me, but you speaking. Amen. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they had asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But they looked up, they saw the stone, that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, each week as a church, we do this thing where we study the Bible in our small groups, and then we hear it taught on a Sunday. And I love that. I love that rhythm. And so, um, in your small groups, I know as I've talked to you guys, there's a few things that came up. And so I just thought, let's walk through the passage a little bit and just talk about the things, the details of the passage. And then let's get to some like how this might apply to our lives today. Okay? So let's start at the beginning of the passage because that's where we should start. Um, verse 1 of chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Here's what happened. Sabbath's over. Sabbath was from sundown to sundown, Friday night to Saturday night. And so sun goes down, ladies are like, hey, let's go shopping. Let's get some spices. Let's make sure we finish this anointing of Jesus thing. There were practices around, around preparing a body for death, and they didn't get a chance to complete that because his death was so close to the Sabbath. So they go on. The passage goes on. Next, verse 2. Very early on, or very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone? Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Okay, so they shop Saturday night, very early on the first day of the week. That's Sunday. Next morning. So it's just sort of saying, hey, they went shopping for stuff on Saturday night. Sunday morning, they went out early, right after sunrise, to go to the tomb. Um, and I can't tell you, I, I, I don't know if these are women of great faith. They're just kind of flighty, or like they knew there would be people around the tomb, but they're like, hey, who's going to roll this, this big, huge stone away for us? They're like, I kind of hope it's a faith, but I also kind of hope they're just like, whoops, forgot that. Um, but I just love these details. Like, they're like, we don't know how this is going to happen. So we go on to verse four. But when they looked up, they saw it had happened. And, they, and Mark makes sure that we know it was very large as a stone. It had been rolled away and they entered the tomb. Well, somebody took care of it, thankfully. I guess they're women of great faith. Um, and without wondering if it's like a trap or anything, they're like, hey, let's go inside. I'm like, all right, like, I don't know, it's sort of like robbers or 
thieves. Those are the same word, guys. I just use synonyms. It's the same thing. Um, but they went right into the tomb. And everything up to this point is pretty normal. You, on Saturday night, you buy the spices. On Sunday morning, you go to the tomb. The tomb is opened up. You're ready to go in, ready to do some anointing. But from this point on, it gets divine. Continuing in verse 5, they entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Okay, so it turns out there was somebody in there. Reason to be alarmed. Three ladies, like there's a guy in there. Uh, okay, um, makes sense to be afraid. Don't know who this man is, but his position and his attire are interesting. He's wearing white. He's clean. It's celebratory. And he's also on the right side. I don't know if you guys know this, but like being on the right side is like a place of honor. You can imagine Jesus' body would have been laid here and he's sitting on the right side at the right hand of the, of the Son of God. And so the passage says, they were alarmed. First thing the man says, don't be alarmed. <laughs> All right. Um, don't be afraid. Can I tell you why I love these words? These, these are the words of God's messengers. Every time the divine comes and encounters his people on earth, the angels are so miraculous, so startling. So the, the appearances are so crazy that the first thing to say is don't be afraid. These women, probably a little afraid that there's a man in the tomb, are also afraid what is going on. Our plans were already messed up and now you're messing up again. Let's not, like, let's not do all this, okay? Our friend died. man goes on. He says, don't be alarmed. He says, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Just so the women weren't like, hey, did we go in the wrong tomb? He says, you're looking for Jesus, aren't you? The one from Nazareth, the one who was crucified. If you weren't sure which Jesus or which Jesus from Nazareth we were talking about, we're pretty sure we're talking about that one, the same guy now. This man acknowledges he was, he was killed. He was killed a criminal, on a criminal's cross. And with three simple words, he affirms everything has changed. He has risen. They know very well he is not here. <laughs> He is risen, explains why he's not here. Nobody took him up out of the grave. Nobody did any fooling. He just isn't here because he has risen. Now, I, don't, I have no idea what these women felt in this moment because Jesus all the time was like, hey, when the Son of Man rises, when he rises, when he rises, when I rise, they're like, oh. Or they're like, wait, What? No, 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 this is impossible. He died. Well, let us live in the grief for a little bit. I don't know where you sit when you hear about something hard, but there's a lot of ping-ponging of emotions here for these women. And so the claim has been made. Jesus has risen. And so where do we go from there? The man immediately says, hey, go do something about it. 
in verse seven, he says, go tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, the place where they did most of their ministry. There you will see him just as he told you. Now these women probably just want to sit and want to do a little processing for a little while. Um, but the man says, hey, go, go tell people. This is a big deal. And what's even crazier about this big deal is all throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus is like, hey, don't tell anybody. Hey, I did this thing, but don't tell anybody. Hey, I know you got your eyesight back. Don't tell anybody. I know the resurrection is a big deal because now the command is go and tell. But the the man makes a claim and says, hey, Jesus told them this. He said, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Where did Jesus do that? Well, some of you might have discovered in your study notes in your Bibles. By the way, study Bible, take it to small group. It's a great tool. Get one if you don't have one. Great tool. Because it has all like the hyperlinks in the scripture. It's fantastic. Um, in the upper room, when Jesus had his last meal with his disciples in Mark 14, Jesus said this very thing. Um, you can go to the next slide, Ron. He says to his disciples, you're all going to fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Okay, Jesus says, you guys are going to scatter. But after I've risen, okay, yeah, he's going to rise, great. Like, um, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Okay, Jesus said that. But why does he call out Peter specifically, disciples and Peter? Well, Peter declared, even if I fall away, or even if all fall away, I will not. Don't worry, Jesus, I got your back. Jesus says, truly, Peter, I tell you, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Peter doubles down. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then he disowns him three times. Jesus calls, or sorry, the man in the tomb on behalf of Jesus calls out Peter because Peter needs to be called out. He has just received the ultimate rebuke saying, hey, you are going to deny me as strong as you think your your fortitude is, as much as you're gonna stick with me, you're not. And so when he says, go tell the disciples and Peter, it's also the beginning of the ultimate restoration. He says, even though you denied me, you're invited to the party. Even though you denied me and I said you were gonna deny me and you doubled down and we fought about it, you are welcome at table with me. This is what resurrection does. And we end with a triumphant last verse in this passage. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. (laughs) Shoot. (laughs) Um, If you want something done, don't trust a scared person. Um, no, I'm fascinated by this interaction. I think it's so fascinating because one, as I said, like the whole MO of Jesus' ministry was don't, was don't tell anybody yet. And then they were told to tell, but then they didn't tell. And yet we know they told because at some point we have this account, right? That's sort of like, they didn't tell right away, but at some point they told. And they were willing, and I think this is because they were just willing to lay down their lives and lay down their perspective and their glory and say, you know what, Mark, as you're putting this together, we didn't tell people right away. We should have. We didn't. 
And, and God chose to allow that to enter into what we have as scripture. This very human, very failure-driven moment. When Christ and his glory is resurrected, we as people... it's okay. The gospel went forward. The disciples and Peter got the message. It was okay. But that's, that's the end of that passage. That's it. And here, here's the crazy part is, right? Like we decided to end the series here. Mark has some more verses. What's the deal? Why aren't we going there? Because if, if, if this is it, this is super unsatisfying, at least to me. Um, and I think the reason we have more verse, verses in Mark is because it was unsatisfying to a lot of people who read Mark early on. And so um, the Bible is passed down by people writing it and re- recording it and re- repeatedly writing it because we didn't have a printing press. And so people who copied the text most likely added the verses after this. That makes sense. So that the, in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible, the earliest versions of it, the earliest, which is great, we have more like historically accurate versions of the Bible than we have any other text from that era. Um, as close to the earliest manuscripts as we have, this the stuff after this doesn't exist. Doesn't mean it's not profitable. In fact, you can tie it to a lot of other parts of the gospel, other gospels or to Acts or things like that. But at its core, this is probably where Mark ended. And if you feel like that makes the Bible less trustworthy, let me flip it on its head and say it makes it more trustworthy because we were willing when we have better scholarly work to say, actually, this is the text that we originally had and to call it out. Like you'll see it in many of your Bibles, it'll be bracketed and high, uh, italicized and like most early manuscripts do not have this section in here. And so this is how I'm going to say Mark ends. Mark, what gives? It's a, it's a lot less of a good hooray now and more of like a questioning hooray. Um, it's really unsatisfying. And I had these gifs from, or gifs or how you pronounce it from Bluey and it's, they're, always, they're always going, hooray! And then this one I had, it was like, the family's going, hooray! But the dad's like, hooray? It was going to be awesome, guys. Bluey, watch it. I, I'm, not, I'm not endorsed by it anyway um, or sponsored by whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, I think Mark ends this way in a way that's unsatisfying, but also is probably my favorite ending to one of the Gospels right now. Because these women, they didn't encounter the risen Jesus in his flesh, and yet they had a choice whether to believe or not. And I don't believe any of you, unless you have, and come talk to me afterwards, because I'd love to see it, have encountered the risen Jesus physically. If you have, I'd love to talk about that. That'd be awesome. Like, put your hands here, it'd be great. These women did not yet encounter the risen Jesus, and yet they had a choice as to whether to believe in the resurrection or not. It's the same choice that you and I have. We have the opportunity, because the way Mark structured this, to enter into the story. We must enter into the story. Do you believe? Will you believe? as you've read through Mark with us, as you hear about this resurrection account, what are you going to do about it? How will you respond? How will you 
live? This is the Christian question. What do we do with the resurrection? If you were with us at All Campus Worship on Friday night, uh, Luke, um, who spoke for us, he talked about the resurrection and how that's it. That's the thing we have to trust in because that's what we got. And so I think that's exactly it. That's the thing for us. The apostle Paul, he said, we are fools if Christ didn't rise from the dead. This is stupid, guys. Let's go watch some football if Christ didn't rise from the dead. Don't do the sports thing. Come on. Um, I think this passage and my experience with this passage and things related to it offers three implications for us. Three things to consider in light of the resurrection. The first, resurrection comes after death. The second, resurrection offers hope. And the third, the told are the sent. So let's just walk through these, okay? First off, resurrection comes after death. You can't really rise from the dead unless you die. And so our entire hope, our entire Christian framework is built on resurrection. So something has to die. So what died? Well, first off, it's Jesus, and it's not some parlor trick, because if resurrection is just a parlor trick, that's pretty cool, but like, it doesn't mean much of anything. What makes the resurrection and the crucifixion powerful is it's not just God's power on display, but it is a sacrifice fulfilled. You see, on that cross, yours and yours and yours and my sin nailed Jesus to it. We didn't, Jesus didn't need to die. The wages of sin is death. Jesus didn't sin, so he didn't need to die, and yet he was willing to. And in doing so, he took our sin upon him as a sacrificial lamb, as the lamb of God. You've heard that before? That's what it means. He was the lamb who sacrificed for us on the cross. But no lamb that was sacrificed in the sacrificial system ever rose from the dead. This one did. Resurrection has to come after death. And so as you encounter resurrection, what in you needs to die? What perspectives, what sins, what patterns, what beliefs, what petty disagreements need to die? Are you willing to let the bad stuff die in your life? Or do you like to hold on to it? I know I like to hold on to it a little bit. But I want to be willing to let it die because I know Resurrection comes after death. And so maybe if you're a note taker, that's what you need to think about. What do I need to let die? Is it that sin pattern? Is it that relationship that's super not helpful? Is it the way I think about my family? What do you need to have die in your life? Because resurrection comes after death in Christ. Resurrection offers hope. That's our second thing here. Resurrection reframes the sadness of the death and offers something new, something unseen, something unimagined. These women, while they'd heard that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, I almost can guarantee that they had no idea how big of a deal it was going to be for them and for the world. There's hope, there's new life, there's excitement in resurrection. As we sit in the death of winter, and I know some of us do not like the cold, um, but there is death now and there will be new flowers and joy and excitement in the spring. That cycle of the seasons runs through again and again. As I think, I'm so thankful I'm in the Midwest because I get the seasons as a reminder of new life in Christ. We 
what are you allowing yourself not to hope in? What do you say? I, I can't hope for you in that, Jesus. I don't want to hope for that because that would be too crazy. That would be too nuts. That would be too much. Where do you need to invite the hope of resurrection into your life? Yes, things must die, but also the ability to dream about God, what God might have for you. And it's not the Lamborghini. It's not the nice house. It's not the 2.5 kids. It's the heart postures. It's the gifts that come from above, not from below. What would you invite God to have you hope in? And the last point I want to make here is that the told are the sent. We saw this right here in this passage. These women um, saw Jesus die. They encountered the hope of the resurrection, at least the first fruits of it. But right away, they were told to go tell somebody else. From the very beginning, the people of God who encounter resurrection were told to tell other people about resurrection. Now, these women didn't go tell, but God's plan went forward, and I know there was grace for them. Who? When's the last time you had a conversation about the resurrected Jesus with somebody? Even here in this church, when you're like, hey, I know you're feeling the pain, and let's not be trite about it, but like, Jesus is alive. Do we preach the gospel to ourselves, to one another? Do we invite people who are hurting in our lives, the classmate who we're doing that study session with, who's like, like, hey, let's talk. How are you doing? Do we talk about the resurrected Jesus? Do we talk about how the pain and sting of that D and the pain and the sting of that breakup and the pain and the sting of that death doesn't need to last? Are we willing to tell people that? All of this, all of this centers on the word and the middle point, it centers on hope. A life with Jesus is a life Because the resurrection kills what needs to die. And it's a good thing. It needs to die. What is sin in our life needs to die. What is of ourself and of our flesh needs to die. But because it does, we have hope. We have new things coming about. It's like when you pull the weeds out of a garden, it gives space for good things to grow, for hope. How many tomatoes is that plant going to put forth now that it doesn't have weeds around it choking it out? Life with Jesus is a life of hope. Guys, we have to be hopeful people. We have to be. Not, now, I'm not trying to like draw you out of your emotion. Like, I understand when you don't feel hope, but I want you to learn to center your life on hope. Because it's the only way I've been getting through. <laughs> so maybe some questions for you guys. How will you respond to this in light of hope? Just some reflection questions for you. Maybe this is something for you to take to a quiet time. You take a picture of this slide. Uh, do you need to let things in your life die? What might it be? Do you need to seek hope and resurrection? And, or, do you need to tell somebody? These three points shouldn't just be like cool little sermon points, and I don't even know if they're that cool, but they should be points that lead us to action, to remember that the cross and the resurrection change us, not just on Sundays, but every day. So I can stand up here and, and, and because of our format, I get to talk and you guys just listen and um, we're not very charismatic so nobody shouts back at me. Um, but if one of you were charismatic, you might say, well, what about you, Alan? What are you going to do about it? Nobody? Okay, great. Um, great question. 
Great question. Thank you. I am so thankful. Uh, <laughs> the, um, can, can I tell you? Let me take you back to my parents. Um, I, uh, can I just tell you, it's, it's really hard to have my parents die. I really do mean, I don't mean to be trite, like, I don't mean to be simple. It's really hard. Um, I don't wish loss upon anybody, and yet I know we all will encounter it. And so um, let's practice grieving together. Let's practice rejoicing together. But when they, when they died, um, I learned a lot about myself emotionally. I learned things, um, this is Daniel Tiger's neighborhood, another much swatch for those of you who don't yet have children. It's still worth it. Um, uh, sometimes you feel two feelings at the same time, and that's okay. I learned about how God made my heart. And I learned how when I was frustrated, it would come across as anger instead of the emotions underneath it, like sadness or frustration. And I've had to let the ways that I practice my life slowly but surely die. Loss does that to you. It helps you recognize what is important, what, what needs to happen. And I've, I've slowly but surely, not completely, let me tell you, anybody who lives close to me knows this, like, but I'm trying to let those parts of me die, to invite Christ into them, to invite hope into them and resurrection into them. When my parents died, it was, it was really hard, um, but I also had the opportunity um, to give a eulogy at their funeral. And you bet your socks, I made sure to talk about Jesus. A bunch of people came. I was amazed at the, the, the impact my parents had on people. Amazed. Like, a bunch of people showed up. I'm like, I don't know who you are. And so I thought, all the more so, here's an opportunity to talk about their hope and my hope comes from Jesus. There are plenty of opportunities that I have not told. Plenty of times at the coffee tent when somebody seems to go there spiritually and I'm like, uh, chicken out. So there are plenty of times I've not told, but that time I did. I loved it. I'm so thankful that God gave me the strength to do that. Um, I'm still a man who's very broken. I, I want you to know, like, if I hurt you in my brokenness, I want to hear from you because I want to let those things die in my life to invite resurrection in. I think all of us who are, are your leaders in this church would want to do that, um, to repent, to grow, to see resurrection in our lives. Um, and so I actually want to leave you with this because I think this, this, this detail, so that's my parents, this, this detail, let's come back, come back to the text because that's, that's what's important, right? It's God's word to us. Um, the reason Mark feels like it ends, un, ends unsatisfyingly is because I think it starts really interestingly. Okay, so we've had this title slide up um, each week. Rod, can you pull the, the normal title slide up? This is the good news about, the, about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's great. It works great for the, the title slide. It's from the New Living Translation. And the New Living Translation does a good job of like kind of getting like an idea across, simplifying it for, the, for our sake. But I like when I look at it actually in a maybe like a more word-for-word -word translation, which means it's saying, here's the original words. We're going to put them here. And then we'll put notes in the study notes for the thoughts. Okay. And so what the, here's what it says in the English Standard Version. Go to the next one, Ron. This is actually how Mark 1, 1 starts. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark's thesis statement says, this is the beginning. And so when Mark ends, it makes total sense that we get to continue encountering and living in the story. The good news of Jesus Christ doesn't stop with the resurrection. It continues on from the resurrection. And that is what we want to be to our campus, to our community. We want to be resurrection people as a church. 
And so I invite you, have that conversation with that roommate, with that friend. Say, hey, I know this is kind of weird. I know like there's all these baggage things about Christians and things like that. But like, can I tell you, I went to church on Sunday. And we talked about resurrection. Can I talk to you about it? I don't even, I don't even know, but like, can we hang out and just talk about it? I know we're all awkward about it because that's, that's what we are. But if it's, if it's awkward, it's oftentimes worth it. And so I invite you, Alana Life, to be people of the resurrection, to continue in the good news of Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Let's continue in being his people by worshiping him in song. I'm going to pray and invite the band up um, and sing his praises.